For thine is the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amidst all that's swirling around Jesus, as we gather around the story of Jesus and we observe the Jesus whose name we declare and adore, who we give praise and glory and honor, look, don't miss all that's happening around Jesus and how his life stays rooted and deeply connected to the life of God in these moments of prayer. Jesus, who came from the Father, was in the world and yet was not of the world, who came to declare something in the world with his words and in his person and in his actions, stayed deeply connected to the life of the Father because, frankly, with all that was swirling around him, it would be difficult if not deeply connected to the life of the Father. And so he prayed. He prayed. Jesus standing in the waters of his own baptism with the water of his baptism still dripping off his skin, raises his eyes to the heaven. He's praying in the waters of his baptism as the voice of the Father speaks over him. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This declaration from the heavens don't miss this, comes as Jesus standing in the waters. I mean, if it were us, it would be like, okay, the boy's been baptized, and we celebrate, and then he moves on. No, Jesus takes a mo- he stands there in the waters of his baptism and prays, and in that moment of prayer, of deep connection to the Father, it's the Father who speaks over him. Jesus, who rose very early in the morning, and went to a solitary place so that he could pray. I don't know the words of those prayers. I don't know the words of the prayer that he prayed when he stood in the waters of his baptism. I don't know the words of the prayer that he prayed when he got up early in the morning and went to a solitary place. I don't know the words of the prayer that Jesus prayed when the crowds were pressing in on him and he said to his disciples, hey, let's take a step back here. And Jesus found space to pray, to connect to the Father, but I'm willing to wager (laughs) that the center point of that prayer were words like this. God, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Did you know that, remember that on that occasion when Jesus turned to his disciples, the ones that he was discipling, following him most closely, and he said to them, hey, who do people say I am? You remember that? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others say one of the prophets. They're rattling off all the things they had heard about how people are associating Jesus. They think maybe you're like one of these. And he says, no, 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 who do you say I am? And it's Peter who's the one who raises his hand. He's got the right answer, and he says, oh, you are the Christ. The word literally means Messiah, anointed one. 
the long-awaited, anticipated Messiah King who will bring the reign of God to bear? That's the answer, right? And Jesus says, you're right. And then he says, let me tell you what it means that I'm Messiah. And it says, he began to teach them that the Son of Man will suffer, people will despise him, and he'll die. And they totally miss that. That the Messiah, the King, the reign of God that comes, comes looking like this. The servant suffering Jesus who pours his life out for the sake of the world. That that's the essence and the nature of this kingdom. Now, so you remember that? Who do people say I am? When he came to Caesarea Philippi, they asked, Jesus turned to them and said, who do people say I am? Remember that whole encounter? Are you with me? Do you know what prompted that question? Like, have you ever stopped to ask yourself, well, why did Jesus, why is he walking along with the disciples? Why did he stop in that moment and ask them, well, who do people say I am? Is he just curious? I mean, kind of like we sometimes get preoccupied with what other people are saying about us. You know how that is. Was that it? Do you know what Scripture says? Scripture says one day when Jesus was praying, he turned to his disciples and asked them, who do people say I am? I don't know what Jesus was praying in that moment when he stopped and then turned out of his moment of prayer and asked this question of the disciples, but I'm willing to wager that at the center of that were these words, your kingdom come. And then he turns to the disciples and says, well, what do they think is going on here? <laughs> your kingdom come. Oh yeah, you're Messiah, you're king. A suffering king? Well, I don't know about that, but you're king. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. It's little wonder that as they observed Jesus and the depth of his life and the way he moved in the world, sometimes in predictable ways that drew them to him and other ways that left them totally confused and disoriented. What kind of king is this? Where are we going with this anyway, Jesus? As they observed that and Jesus' life in prayer, the moments that he spent early in the morning or in places of solitude, or sometimes in the everyday rhythms of life that they would turn to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray. If we're going to follow you, you're going to have to teach us what it is to be so deeply connected to God in the midst of everything that's happening around us. And what Jesus offered them, remember, we've been saying, what Jesus offered them was not instructions on how they should pray, not a technique. Okay, let me give you the formula. Jesus didn't offer any of that. What he didn't do was give them some speech to inspire them. Well, you just need to try harder, or maybe if you were more disciplined, or you need to check your heart, people, so that you so pray more. He didn't do any of that. What he did was he just gave them words. He gave them a prayer to pray. When you pray say this. And then he gave them a prayer. And the prayer began, remember last week we spent some time with just the opening words of that prayer. Our Father in heaven, 
your name is holy. That the God who is transcendent and beyond us in God's holiness in heaven is the God who is near to us, as near as a father, and that in this new life with God, in this way of praying, God is neither so close to us that he's made in our own image or so far from us that he's totally mysterious. He's in every moment. And the opening words of the prayer invite us to seek God, open our hearts to the presence of God in every moment in ways that sometimes seem strikingly obvious. And so that we can say, like I've heard people, it's kind of popular these days to say, wow, that was just a God thing. It's just another way of saying, really, it seems so obvious God was in this moment. And sometimes in hidden ways that we hardly notice, sometimes they're so subtle and hidden that it's only in retrospect as time passes by that you look back and say, in that moment, I hardly realized it, that God was there. In every moment, we open our hearts and our lives to the holiness of God. This is how the prayer begins. This is how we begin. God calls us into a house of prayer so that in moments like these, where we gather, we begin to greet one another, we begin to orient our hearts, there are those who come and lead us to unite our voices in praise. We are opening our hearts again to the presence of God so that in every moment we might see and know the holiness of God. We are coming to this moment. We are coming to worship together. We are coming to this time around God's Word so that God might open us again and again and again to His presence, not only in this moment, but in every moment. This is our prayer. And I want us to stop right now. And we're going to take moments, and I want to invite you to center yourself. We'll take a few moments of silence, and we open ourselves again uh, to God's presence and leading in our midst. Would you bow with me? As surely, O oh God, as your breath fills our lungs, you fill our life. You, uh, O oh God, are the source of all life. And we open ourselves to you again. God, our Father, near to us, God, our Father in heaven, beyond us and holy in every way, you are among us. Open us again to your presence. Teach us in these moments where we, we push other things aside and we, we come to focus and turn our faces toward you. Teach us again to open our hearts to you in every moment. Fill us with your Spirit. Give us the gifts of your Spirit so that we might know life and bear life into the world. You call us to be in this world, but not to be of this world. And God, we have to be honest with you this morning. We're confused about that, conflicted even. It's hard to even understand what that means. And so we take a moment to open ourselves 
to you. Bless your people gathered in your name, around your word, around your table, that we might receive your spirit in your presence. In the name of Jesus, amen. So now with our hearts open to God in every moment, listen now, we declare allegiance. Sometimes I remind myself that it's good preaching. If you can boil uh, the sermon down to one sentence, and the fewer words, the better. (laughs) That's a good thing. So here it is. Here's your sermon. We, it's in three words. We declare allegiance. That's where the prayer that Jesus offers us, the prayer that gives us life and grounds us in God's life and connects us to the life of the Spirit, that's where it leads us. We open ourselves to God's presence in every moment, and then in the next move of the prayer, we declare allegiance. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Here and now, on earth as it is in heaven, those words... The prayer that we pray is a declaration of allegiance. And we dare not skip over these words because I can tell you there's much that is vying for your allegiance. We think that things are uh, sort of in, in you move through life in neutral. There are all these forces and voices and impulses and influences that are vying for your allegiance. And my allegiance and for the collective allegiance of the people of God in their collective life. So Jesus says in the prayer, declare your allegiance. Every time you say these words, declare your allegiance to the kingdom of God. Pray that the will of God be done here and now on earth as it is in heaven. Pray it over and over again because you know what? Because in every moment, in every moment, There's a battle for your allegiance that's taking place. It may not seem like much to say these words. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But the kingdom talk, this kingdom talk, this declaration is ground zero in the battle for your heart, your mind, and your soul. It is ground zero. It always has been. When Jesus was born, and word got out about the coming of Jesus, and it reached Herod, who had no little role to play in the kingdoms of this world. Herod's reaction was, uh, well, the, the language that's used in your, some of your translations is, Herod was disturbed. <laughs> he was unsettled. Not just in sort of a curious way, but in a way that moved him into action, right? You know what Herod did, right? He mobilized first those visitors from the east to go and try and and figure out what's going on. And really, they were doing some recognizance for him. They were supposed to come back and report on what they found, and they didn't. And he viewed the birth of this child, declared 
the long-awaited Messiah, the anointed one who will usher in the reign of God's kingdom, he viewed him as such a threat that he issued the edict. He had the power to do that. I will marshal the forces of the empire over against you. So let's just eliminate the threat. Kill all the boy, boy babies in the region. Why? Why? At the launch of Jesus' ministry, his public ministry, he went forth declaring these words. The kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. Those are the words he chose. And it, and it began to unsettle everything and unsettle everyone. A along the way, they began to plot how they might kill him. His own people began to plot how they might kill him. Why? Because there's something dangerous when you declare allegiance. It changes things. It unseats the assumptions about how the world is ordered and how people are ordered and who has power and control and influence and this idea that someone might come in and declare another kingdom or even inaugurate another kingdom is a threat. So Herod, representing... Uh, the empire of the day sees Jesus as a threat very early on. The Pharisees, his own people, internally see him as a threat. And then they get together and conspire or plot together how they might overthrow him, eliminate him. Why? Why do you suppose that is? If there's not something dangerous about the move to declare your allegiance to the kingdom of heaven over against the kingdoms of this world. We just thought it was the next phrase in the prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can say it. We can say it fast. It rolls off the tongue. It just seems like the prayer that we pray. But look, wake up, people. You're praying this kingdom come business, and it's dangerous. has the power to transform everything, turn the world upside down, not just you, but turn the world upside down. And if you're on top of things and in control, and someone says, we're going to turn the world upside down, that's a threat. Do you remember when Jesus came to call people to follow him and he declared that the kingdom of God was at hand and to leave everything behind? Remember that? Homes and jobs and fathers and mothers even. He said, come follow me. Declare allegiance. Come die with me. And they said, okay. They had no clue. These words are ground zero in the battle for your heart, 
your mind, and your soul. Do we even realize that when you come here, you know, one of the youth group songs that I sang when I was growing up, I don't know, we sing it so often, is we would sing, Jesus is Lord, my Redeemer. Remember that? The declaration of Jesus as Lord it is not a modern convention. It goes way back to the earliest days, and it stood in contrast over against the claim that Caesar is Lord. That was a real phrase. <laughs> Which meant that the rule of the empire was preeminent. And that everyone declared allegiance to the empire and to its Caesar. And Christians... I don't think they sang our youth group song, but I, I met, gathered together, huddled together, and maybe softly at first began to sing, Jesus is Lord, my Redeemer. Do you realize how countercultural, how dangerous it was for early Christians to sing, to say, Jesus is Lord, to pray the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Jesus taught them. He didn't just declare that the kingdom of God had come near. He wanted them to, to know what it was like. And he used every technique possible to teach them what the kingdom of God was like. The, the kingdom of God is like this. And he told them a story. The kingdom of God is like this. And he told them a story. We call them kingdom parables. But he told them stories so that they could begin to catch a glimpse of what the kingdom of God was like. He taught them with his words. He took them up on the side of the mountain and they all sat down on the side of the mountain. And he began to teach them. In the kingdom of God, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. What? That's not the way kingdoms function. Poor in spirit meek, the lowly, those who mourn, those are not the blessed ones. Those are the suffering ones. What kind of kingdom are you talking about, Jesus? He began to teach them what the kingdom was like. And he began to show them what the kingdom was like. He embodied it. He loved and he wept and he forgave and he healed and he restored. He embodied in his person the very essence of the kingdom of heaven And isn't it interesting that in the end, they follow him, they hear all his teachings, the kingdom of God has come near, oh great, that's awesome, who are you? You're the Messiah, the, the one who ushers in this kingdom. They hear parable after parable, they see Jesus move in ways that represent the kingdom, and in the very end, when it comes down to it, do you know what happens? They all abandon him. Every last one of them abandoned him. Guess why? Their allegiances are all confused. Their allegiances are all confused. These words are, I'm telling you, they are ground zero. We learn to pray them over and over and over again because 
Like those first called to follow him, we are caught between allegiances to the kingdoms of this world and to the kingdom of God. And we come here to give lip service that our allegiance is to the kingdom of God, not the kingdoms of this world, that Jesus is Lord and not someone else. But I'm telling you, when we walk out that door, we act differently. Because our allegiances are confused. Our allegiances are confused. I speak confessionally. This sounds hard and heavy, doesn't it? It just dawns on me, wow. What happened to him this week? (laughs) I speak confessionally. I speak these words to you. I speak these words alongside you. Right? When I say this, we are so bombarded with the commercialization of the kingdoms of this world, how do we possibly declare allegiance to another kingdom? You understand what, that, what I mean by that? That the world has its way of persuading you. I, I called that commercialization to the kingdoms of this world. Uh, you want to use some other language? It knows how to market you <laughs> towards its ends. It knows how to persuade you towards its ends. We are so bombarded by the commercialization of the age, it's hardly fair. Everything and everyone is a commodity in the kingdoms of this world. We become... And we are nurtured and formed this way in the kingdoms of this world to be primarily interested in ourselves. In our own individual autonomous self. In our own individual autonomous freedom. In our own individual autonomous progress. Protect yourself. Advance yourself in the kingdoms of this world. Look around. We are so politically polarized that we can hardly see straight. Much less declare allegiance to the kingdom of God. It occurs to me that our allegiances are more formed by cable news than the Jesus who teaches us to pray, Thy kingdom come. you do realize that it's not really news. And certainly not good news. You are being manipulated. Your allegiances are being co-opted. And we dial it in, and we dial it in, and we dial it in. It occurs to me that our allegiances are more formed by social media than the Jesus who teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come. Now, you do realize that Facebook is an algorithm, a giant algorithm. That just means it's a computer program. that is tilting you toward an echo chamber of the kingdoms of this world. 
We are naive if we think that these things are neutral. Your allegiances are being played. My allegiances are being played. The seeds of a Christian nationalism are being sown. Just those two words put together are about the co-option of your allegiance as people of faith towards somebody else's ends. Have mercy on us. Teach us to pray. Does any of those those things cultivate a greater love or joy or peace or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, gentleness, Self-control. These are the marks of the life of the Spirit in the reign of God, in the kingdom of God. Let your kingdom come, we pray. How do we possibly become a community whose allegiance belongs to the kingdom of God over against the kingdoms of this world? When the collective hours that we spend consuming media are 10, 20, 50, 100 times we spend praying the prayer in its particular form and words or even those practices that would root us and our allegiance in the kingdom of God, not in the kingdoms of this world. You see the imbalance of what's going into our hearts and minds and shaping what we care about and talk about and all of that? If I walk that backwards, it says that, well, really, if I pay attention, your allegiance is to the kingdoms of this world, that, that, that you or me or anyone else gets all bent out of shape about these things so that we think the world's coming to an end tells me that, you know what? My faith, my trust is in the kingdoms of this world, not in the kingdom of heaven. We cling to the words of Jesus because we must, because they are gift and they are life. They connect us to the heart and the life of God. And if we do not cling to the words of Jesus... Our allegiance will be swept up, fully swept up in the kingdoms of this world. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, here and now. We cling to the words. We set all the rest aside. Seek first the kingdom. And all these other things will find their right place. Seek first the kingdom. We cling to the words, we set aside the rest, and we pray for the Spirit to fill us. Because in the kingdom of God, 
There is love and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. There is love and there is joy and there is peace in the Holy Spirit. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe we need to hear the words in a way that reflects the purity of them. And so we're going to hear them, watch them, and then we're going to say them together, if we would share this. which are in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 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 As the Lord Jesus has taught us to pray, you'll see the words appear here, so we pray together. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.